Hey everybody, it's Microphones of Madness. I'm Rodney, over there Steve. Me how? And today we are talking The Wandering Earth, a uh, film available on Netflix. It's a Chinese film uh, directed by... Oh, jeez. Frank Guo. And uh, based on a uh, collection of short stories by uh, Liu Shijin. Yeah. Hopefully we said that somewhat correctly. (laughs) What is that Billy Crystal used to say? uh, um, Got American teeth in a Spanish mouth. Yeah, sure. I, I don't remember that Billy Crystal bit. But you don't remember that? No. Man. Oh, he was. It was from Saturday Night Live. Uh, he was. He was a uh, Fernando. I think was the character. He was a TV host. Uh, Fernando. Exactly. <laughs> you have to bug me. I've got the American teeth and a Spanish mouth. <laughs> anyway, all right. So this is a. This is a science fiction film. Um, You know, I think off camera, we had a little bit of a debate over whether or not it is hard sci-fi or not. Um, You know, the more I've thought about it this afternoon, the less I actually think that it is hard (laughs) sci-fi. Well, it tries to pass itself off as hard sci-fi. You know, I don't really think it does. I, I totally think it does. But let's get to a brief synopsis of the film before we start breaking her down. All right. Um, This is a... Actually, I would argue that it's not really a sci-fi film. It's got trappings of sci-fi in it. But really, it's a disaster film. Yes, it is definitely a disaster film. It reminds me of those films from the 70s, -hmm. like... um, Inferno and uh, Airport 77. Yeah, yeah, the Poseidon Adventure. Exactly, where you just have like one horrible thing happening, cascading off of another one. Yes, yeah, definitely. I would definitely, um, well, the premise of the story is that uh, Earth, uh, the citizens of Earth, the sun, in our solar system, our very own soul uh, has begun expanding. Yeah, it's it's used up all of its hydrogen fuel, and it's going to start burning helium. Right, and it's it's growing, and will in within like a hundred years or something, I believe they said, was is going to take over the Earth's orbit. Right. So the people of Earth, idiots that they are. <laughs> Yeah, they they uh, band together under one world government and decide to move the Earth. That's right. They uh, they contacted some motherfuckers from like Mississippi or something, and they said, "So what? Uh, we need to we need to get everybody safe from the solar expansion." And the guys like, "Hey, Clem, how about we strap some motors on this motherfucker?" <laughs> you know, it's not as far fetched as it seems. There's a um in if you read Larry Niven, mm-hmm. um, the puppeteers, the Pearsons puppeteers, uh, have their whole their planet and its its satellites are right. moving through space without um without being attached to a solar system, and they did it on purpose mm-hmm. because they because of some threat they 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 um I can't remember what it was um there was a threat to their planet so they decided that the 
best thing to do is just to um, engineer it so they made the planet into and its and its moons into a just a wandering system, and they used um, the moons for resources like they grew food and mm -hmm. stuff. So yeah. it, it's it's not an overly original concept just in general in terms of sci-fi and it's not all that like ridiculous of a of a premise right right i mean you know the whole idea of a mobile uh planet i mean you know as deep deep into pop culture well not even really deep just on the surface of pop culture you know of course the death star yeah, uh, i mean that's no moon right unicron Right. And, and, you know, there's also a, a rich history of generational starships that mm -hmm. serve the same purpose, um, which kind of begs the question, if they can move the, the Earth out of orbit, why don't they just build a big generational starship? Yeah, I mean, you know, you think it would be cheaper. Uh, so, yeah, when, when, uh, when uh, Cletus and Clem uh, say, let's strap some big rocket engines to this bitch. Uh, the whole world bands together, and that's precisely what they do. They build enormous rocket engines on one side of the planet, and a bunch of engines supposedly around the equator, but it looks like they're running north to south to me, so maybe along the prime meridian. <laughs> uh, okay. That could have been just like a translation problem. Well, that's that's true. <laughs> But like we said, this is this is not hard sci-fi. I think um, it wants to be hard sci-fi though, because it is doing like hard sci-fi stuff, right? You know, I, I think it, it wants the the hard sci-fi flavor, but really the sci the science aspect of it is only like uh, window dressing. Yeah, what but we most, really that's what most hard sci-fi is anyway. Right, it's it's using something that's semi-believable in science. And and using it in a science fiction setting, mm -hmm. so so like rockets putting you know we all know how rockets work right right so it's it's you know you could conceive without too much of a stretch of of putting rockets in very in strategic points along the the Earth and using it to to escape the sun's gravity possibly I actually don't know how much thrust it would take to do that. Uh, at least one Superman worth. <laughs> so, uh, so that's that's how it's hard. It, it's almost hard sci-fi because you could conceive that, but if it was actual hard sci-fi, then you'd have numbers to go with it, right? And really, that's the difference is the numbers, <laughs> right? And that's probably one of the things you know I don't like about the hard sci-fi is like, look, man, if I really if I really want to know the numbers, I'll I'll read a Stephen Hawking book. <laughs> Stephen Fair Hawking, you know, you know, let me just read, let me get the fiction out and just read the side part. <laughs> well, Fuck your fi, give me the side. I like old, old, like uh, you know, sixties and seventies hard sci-fi. You know, for what it for what it's worth. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it kind of has that that flavor to it mm -hmm. a, a little bit. Um, it is definitely in the opposite. Um, Politically, from most of the hard sci-fi that I've yes, read. yes, this is definitely <laughs> this is definitely a story that is that has a heavy, heavy globalist bent to it. 
Well, the the thing is like like if you read like Larry Niven and uh, Robert Heinlein and and um, who's the the real big fascist? Oh, uh, Por- uh, Pornell. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're all right wingers, and the 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 rugged individuals are the ones you know the heroes of these stories. You know, and they go above and beyond. Blah blah blah. Right. Um, and, and this is the exact opposite. Right. Uh, right. The rugged individualists are punished until they become part of the collective um, push that eventually wins the day. Right. Right. And and even then there's that space for the, you know, individualism to shine because then it's, you know, I am an individualist for the people. Right. But it's compartmentalized individualism. So, you know, they're specialists. So they have jobs to do and they do their jobs, but it is for the greater good. Mm hmm. As opposed to a a you know Superman character who can do all of it for right. the greater good, you know, right. and and it just so happens that his or usually his, but sometimes hers, um, the the good for that individual happens to align with the greater good. Yes, we're looking even at the, you, Marvel. Even if the greater good can't see it for themselves, which is um, Larry Niven in a nutshell, right? So. We've got we've got Earth now officially, you know, to use that old uh, I, I forget whose whose idea that was, but Starship Earth, yeah. But uh, Heinlein, uh, Earth is definitely a starship now or spaceship Earth, I believe it was the concept was. But Earth is definitely a spaceship now. It has left its own orbit. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is has passed the asteroid belt and Mars. And is approaching Jupiter to use Jupiter as a slingshot out of the solar system. Yeah. Now, um, yeah. And so, and this is this <laughs> becomes the part. This becomes the part where Steve starts getting a little picky here. But uh, you know, picky. we've <laughs> rest assured. <laughs> rest assured, we have contacted an astronomer who will set us straight. <laughs> okay. So everything's going great. Aside from the fact that I have no idea how they're growing food, but they're, they're eating dried earthworms. How many freaking earthworms are there? But that, that's aside the point. Like the whole, I mean, you could assume that they have like hydroponic stuff underground because everyone's living underground because mm. it's, you know, space cold outside. Oh, yeah. It's like uh, minus 87 degrees. It should be colder. But it's space cold outside. I think it's Celsius, though, which is, makes it really fucking cold. Yeah, so it's really cold outside. Mm-hmm. Um, and they 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 do this thing with Jupiter, which I'm not sure they really need to do because if they escape the sun's gravity, they should be able to yeah. do it. But okay, so they, they have enough to get out of the orbit, but they still need to escape the sun's gravity. So they want to use Jupiter's gravity to, as a slingshot effect, which is like a Star Trek thing. And, right. And well, that's what we around. did with like Voyager and several right. other space. And zip around and, and use it kind of as a, as a Mario Kart turbo boost to get to escape the mm-hmm. gravity well of the sun completely. Right. Okay. But uh, once they approach Jupiter, you have uh, several of the massive engines fail which puts earth at the wrong angle to hit jupiter's orbit actually yes. we are approaching we they are approaching a little bit too shallow 
Right. Uh, and this this event unfolds through the eyes of not only um, the main characters centered around the underground city of Beijing. I was Beijing two or three or something like that. They called it. So um, and and the navigation system, which is a space station uh, that is flying ahead of the planet. I guess you know, making sure, like, uh, yeah, you guys need to turn right just a little bit. Yeah, you I, know, I, like I, the flag I car. Therefore, but whatever. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> it, well, one of the things they said the space station did was uh, help um, regulate communications and coordinate communications across. So it's like a giant communications satellite where people live and work. And, right. And it's also, as we are, find out later, that it is a generational starship as well. Right. Just in case something fucks up. Right. So Earth enters jupiter's gravity well uh, a little too shallow because and, because the the greatest minds of every country on earth are, couldn't compensate for this and had no fail safes on their engines well yeah the math was the math was created to uh you know for all the engines working at the same time we forgot right. to nobody like had any backup plans or contingencies there were there were no diagnostics of these things they just happened to fail at the proper time for everything to go basically the system was designed by boeing yeah it's just it, you know it, it's it kind of, it kind of bothers me that it's just too much of a pat thing to happen that i think that there would be uh, there would be um, redundancy and fail safes, right? As as coordinated as this effort is, um, yeah, yeah, you would think that there would be some fail safes. Like, why are the igniters for these engines like scattered all over the place, like freaking parts of the Triforce? Yeah, you, know, and you have to go quest for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What the what the hell is this, Gamble World? <laughs> it almost is though. Gene Wolfe write this? It's a cold gamma world. No, because yeah. Gene Wolfe would have, you would have been asking these questions and then like uh, three chapters later, it would have been answered. Well, yeah. Like, you know, subtly <laughs> in subtext, but it would have been answered. Right. But I mean, you know, logically you would keep this, this shit. If you had like I an mean, actual ordered society, you would keep this the, shit next to it. End of the world. Right. It's like this is it. This is the Hail Mary pass, the the you know, bottom of the ninth. Right. Whatever metaphor you want to use, you think you'd have your shit packed tight. Right. Exactly. But they don't. But, but they, they don't. don't. Um okay. now and now to do this, and this kind of makes for a really interesting aesthetic choice uh, for the characters who are outside. Um when they decided to build these rocket engines to force Earth out of its orbit. Um, they had to kill, what was it, half the population to yeah, do so. It, it was like a half or a third of the population. It was a significant number. And and, and kind of cool aspect to it is that um, the shift out and, and, of course, you know, away from the moon, because, you know, it was like, fuck the moon, uh, caused Which earthquakes and tidal waves and stuff could have been used for resources and and yeah well maybe they use that to build the space station maybe could have at least been used for fuel 
right. because these rockets ran on ionization, I guess. Right. Right. Uh, fusion of stone. Just the, yeah. the mountains around the area are being chewed down by these giant machines and enormous trucks uh, are driving right. the stone back which to is, the engines. Which is weird. Right. Because, just granite. It's running on fucking well, granite. That, that, that's not the weird part. I mean, I could buy that. What mm-hmm. I can't buy is that this, what is it, like a 2,000-year voyage? Yeah, something like that. That there's going to be any Earth left after 2,000 years of feeding these huge um, propulsion engines. Well, I, I, I they, they should have kept the, the moon. End should have kept the moon. Well, they the kept, moon. that's true. They should have like tethered it or something and drug it along with them. That would have really fucked up their math. <laughs> See, then that would lead to an even more believable scenario for Steve as the moon got sucked into Jupiter's gravity. Right. And was pulling the Earth in like a like an anchor, like a cinder block around your ankle. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean, the plan is, is that they're, they're firing these damn engines, you know, to get them out of the solar system. Once they're out of the solar system, and I suppose past the Kuiper Belt, uh, they're going to crank these suckers up to full. Right, go get get to a velocity. I think like, it's like one uh, zero. Of speed of light. Yeah, like yeah, it, it's like some big number. Um, turn everything off, and, and then coast. until you coast, get halfway until there, you get right, and then you break. Then right. you use them to break. Yeah, if you turn on the engines and you do a thrust in the opposite direction, which We're, you know that's how space travel works. That is how space travel works, and there's formulas for it in Traveler. Mm-hmm. That's how Traveler works, basically. That's right. So the real culprit behind this is not only Boeing hired a guy that played Traveler. That's what it was, Mark Millar. They hired Mark Millar as their um, consultant. (laughs) Okay, so... Unfortunately, half of everybody died during character creation. So you have... (laughs) You have these scenes outdoor, particularly of Shanghai... Uh, where the tidal waves came and struck the buildings and then froze. froze. Yeah. So that, you have you have some really cool like backgrounds and sets. Oh yeah. In this in this film. Right. It's not even a street anymore. They just call it a crevasse. Yeah, I mean that's what it is. It's like um the jellyfish from Finding Nemo, where you just have like these two huge just walls of frozen ocean and they have to thread the needle through them mm-hmm. to get to this engine. Yep. They have to thread the needle to get to the engine, to get yeah, so, the, to get the igniter back to the engine. Yeah. Crazy. So uh, what ends up happening is one of the, the guys on the international space station, for lack of a better term, um, his father, his son, and, um, his father's adopted granddaughter mm-hmm. um, end up outside and get caught up in this uh, rescue effort. Right. And the, the 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 plot of the movie is basically two things: you trying to get these, you know, the the tale of um, his family on Earth, trying to get the the uh, j- the, the Beijing jet working. And the plot of him in the space station uh, realizing that, <clears throat> pardon me, uh, something's wrong 
and the programming of their um, AI, which is Moss, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, who is literally a combination of Hal and Mother. Yep. It even looks like Hal. It does. Um, and, and it basically has the same programming as Mother. <laughs> So you, you definitely get that like cold, insane AI um, shtick going on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you get a little bit of everything. <laughs> you have the whole, you know, the whole drama between the five. There's a lot in the soup of this movie. Yeah. Um, you know, where, where, you know, a lot of movies would have just focused on like one aspect or another, like the relationship of the father and son. They wouldn't have put the distance in there. Right. And, you know, or, you know, the, the team rescue mission drama, you know, they would have just focused on that. This film or or the, the human versus the evil AI, you know, this movie puts it all in there. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> you can, you, there's a lot going on in this movie. Right. And it's like Interstellar, huh? Alien, huh? 2001, hold my beer. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely has... um. Transformers, yeah. I can't think of any other Michael Bay movies. Uh, Bad Boys, because <laughs> I don't watch Michael Bay movies. Yeah. But yeah, and it, it had an awful lot of explosions. Right. the 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 thing that strikes me about this film, aside from the base, so that's a basic plot. Mm -hmm. Don't want to give it away. We want you to watch the movie. Um. It is just a series of failing forwards. And yeah. what I what I mean by that is you have the um the characters have have a task mm. and they just about do that task or actually succeed in that task and and then the hammer falls again. Yep. And it's just 2 hours of that. Mhm. Mm of it's just it's failing forward because they progress but something else comes up. So everything they did, um, while not completely useless, is useless. Right. Right. And, and <clears throat> excuse me. And in my opinion, you get a satisfying adventure film out of it. Kind of like, you know, like those disaster movies. Yeah. I see. I'm not a huge fan of that kind of movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I like, um, I like, action just not like wall to wall like that i do like a little bit of break right there. And, it, and there wasn't really a lot of that not right even like the 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 quieter parts mm -hmm. still had like shit going on yeah it's 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 almost like an episode of 24 it's like even though it's just, it's it's your quiet moment but tick 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 right. Tick and that and I never watched Twenty Four either because right. I, it's not my bag. It's right. like this genre really is not my bag. Um, right. I I I know where it's coming from. I just don't have the gauge to um, determine whether it did it well or not because I just really don't watch a lot of it. Right. Well, I, I thought it did it well. I thought it kept up a very um, frenetic pace and and the pacing of it. With even though you know you have when you even have quieter moments, these quieter moments are always like on a timer, and then it's to the next huge horrible thing that's about to happen. And I thought it was paced really well. 
Um, I thought the actors did a fine job. I mean, you know, they 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 weren't wooden. I'm not a you know uh, an expert in Chinese language cinema, and you know, to to spite you purists, I did watch the dub. Well, <laughs> I, I I watched it subbed. Mm-hmm. Um, and let me tell you, I, I mean, because I watch a lot of um of uh, subbed anime, mm-hmm. and you could tell when people are overacting in any right. fucking language. You could you could tell, like you could watch um the Bizarre Adventure or JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and you know they're hamming it up. Oh yeah, definitely. But <laughs> so I so, didn't really feel like they it, were. I don't know. I think they, they, the acting was was fine. Mm-hmm. There's there's nothing wrong with it. And maybe if like um, it was my native language, I might have had like more or less of an issue with it than I do because I but I don't have an issue with it. Right. You know what I'm saying? Right. But to right. me, just watching it um, sub with with subtitles in in um, the several languages it was in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it was fine uh, because yeah. they actually had um, interesting. They had um, characters from different countries speaking their native tongue. Right. So there was a, a Russian cosmonaut, and he spoke Russian. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a French official um, that spoke French, right. and you would have American accent in English every once in a while. Um, when there was an American character speaking, right, the Boeing representatives, correct, <laughs> Clem, <laughs> strap a rocket to it. So, you know, just in terms of Jesus fucking Christ, just in terms of um, presentation, great. It was really, really well done. I mean, actually, probably um, a lot more well done than most of the Chinese language movies that I see because most of the Chinese language movies I see are eighties Kung Fu <laughs> movies right. that like are, are like done with fantastic people who are fantastic uh, martial artists who couldn't act their way out of a porn movie. Right. right. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, things have changed a lot. I mean, Chinese well, cinema have, really it, is. It really has. Um, but there's a difference between, you know, um, uh, the latest Jackie Chan movie and the five venoms. That's oh, all. Yeah. The Shaw brothers stuff. Yeah. 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 Yes. Of course. <laughs> it did not have a Weasley guy twirling his mustache, his white mustache or stroking his, his yes. uh, obviously fake beard. <laughs> yes. I am a eunuch from the Eastern oh. order. Old people with no wrinkles. It, it was missing that. That is correct. We should have just done this movie in Kung Fu voices. God, that would have been great. <laughs> Someone actually should do a dub of this movie in 80s Kung Fu voices. Right. <laughs> and then it would turn it into a comedy. However, you know, we say there's uh, you know, a little bit of everything in this. I have yet to see a Chinese film that does not incorporate almost slapstick comedy no matter what the tone is. And uh, the guy throwing up in his helmet. The guy throwing up in his helmet. Uh the the Australian Chinese co-production. Oh, you mean the wacky rapist? Yeah. <laughs> he turned out to be a rapist. Uh supposedly. you found that pretty early on. 
Uh, yeah, when yeah. They, he, he when they, like, when yeah. they get stopped by the cops. Yeah. <laughs> like, look, man. Yeah. She said it was okay. Right. A little cringy. A sure you did. Well, right. there's always that one character who's questionable. Yeah, he was like a little bit beyond questionable. Yeah. But he redeemed himself. And then he got his anyway. Right. Well, yeah, well. <laughs> no spoilers. No, no spoil. No spoilers, mate. Do not spoil this film. Or else no you spoil. will face my wrath. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I thought we got a, a pretty decent wall-to-wall action film. Uh, adventure, very adventure film, you know, with a little bit of humor. No romance in this film at all. No, none at all. No love interests here, except for the love of humanity. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to wonder if that surprised me or not, but it really, it didn't. It just wasn't part of the tone of the film. Right, right. They're, they're, you know, and it's so rare. If that was an American disaster film, uh, that would have been a love interest. Oh yeah, well she you wouldn't know. have been his sister. Right, right. And well, she wasn't really his sister anyway. And America would have like pointed that out and said, "Well, you know, you're not really right. my well, sister." That's, that's right. We are gross. <laughs> no, that's just that's just you know we know how America works. <laughs> like I said, we are gross. Yes. But yeah, I thought it was a great film. Um, now, what I came into this not really knowing too much about it or any type of reception about it, um, I was brought to my attention by Steve. I um, read an article saying that it was the third highest grossing movie of this year so far mm-hmm. um, worldwide, and Netflix had it, and they weren't making a big deal about having it. Uh, so I figured, ah, well, this is something we should probably watch. Mm-hmm. Sure. Because, I mean, this is like kind of shit that's right up our alley. Mm-hmm. Obscure, yeah. great things. <laughs> right, right. I, I, You know, truthfully, I probably would have ended up watching it regardless. You know, been like flipping through Netflix going, oh, what to watch, what to watch. Oh, yeah. Hey, let's check this out. Uh, yes, but the two-hour running time is a little prohibitive for me. Two hours and five minutes. Yeah, I, I, that's like the upper end of what I really like watching. Mm-hmm. I, I'm a buck thirty kind of guy myself. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely the the current crop of blockbusters, and it appears to be this taking taking on this kind of international flavor is that everything's got to be two hours plus. Uh, two and a half now. Yeah, two and a half. Something like that, you know, back in the days of CC, you know, DeMille, uh, you know, fucking, uh, back when they had the pad movies. What are, what are those with what musical are, numbers? Well, not just the movies with the mus- musical numbers, the old biblical epics with Charlton Heston. Oh, uh, um, you know, right. Epics. They yeah, just call them epics. Yeah. The epics, you know, uh, the 10 commandments, Ben Hur, that sort of shit. Judah Ben Hur. Yes, Spartacus. I don't know if Spartacus was two hours long. But I remember right. in like the 80, the late 80s and the 90s, everything was like 97 minutes. Yeah, it was an hour and a half was, was your pretty much standard. 
Yeah, and if you got to something that was exactly that was like like two spot. hours long, it was a treat. Yeah, and it was a long ass film. Yeah, and they usually save that for like the sweeping epics, you know. Um, Lord of the Rings. Well, not even Lord of the Rings. Before Lord of the Rings, I mean, shit. Remember Westworld? That thing clocked in at three hours long, and people were like, "What the fuck are you doing?" I think that would have been a "What the fuck are you doing?" No matter what. <laughs> well, yeah, they got out of the film after they saw what it was about. Like, what the fuck were you doing? <laughs> Just take the movie camera and slap a jet engine on it. <laughs> take the old Brenner's face off. Yeah. Woo! And, and and so that that would probably be one of the big drawbacks is that, you know, if you're not... It's a loud movie as well. So, it you is, know, if you're not one- into explosions and a lot of yelling and screaming and stuff like that, then, yeah, you might want to... You might want to... um. You know, not watch this one or you know, turn sound way down. Yeah. Now I do have an issue with films that are mainly um just effects heavy like this. Mm-hmm. That's not normally something I like to watch. Um, I don't mind to have ex- you know the occasional explosion or whatever, but um I don't like it when effects drive a film. Right. And this definitely is of that genre. Right. Um, but I know, think it's, I think this one is more balanced out. You know, it keeps getting these Michael Bay comparisons, but I think that the, the character story is, is, you know, it's kind of balanced. Yeah, there, is, like the, there, there definitely is enough going on. Um, at least with um, the, the main four characters mm-hmm. um, that holds it together. Um, I'm not, you know, the, the actual of that two, two hours and five minutes of film, maybe 15 minutes is, is in total is devoted to that. Right. It's, it's not, it's certainly not character driven. There is some character moments Mm -hmm. in it, but it's not character driven. Um, right. It's, it's, it's plot driven, but you do have some character moments and you have, plot moments as well um you know like uh, towards toward the plot, end a lot of plot moments you know it gets kind of you know a little saccharine there um but you know you kind of needed that to, you know because because this movie did get really bleak really fast and, well yeah yeah i yeah, mean it shifted to it shifted from you know hopeful to we're all gonna die in like at the same pacing and yeah i mean it can it some people i've noticed get get philly really physically worn out by by a cinematic experience and i do think that the pacing of this film and it's shifting from bad to worse to oh my god it's it's the end of the freaking world um well i can leave people fatigued I took a break. You had um, to take a break? Yeah, but not because it left me fatigued. Uh, that frenetic pace just kind of bores me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, you know, it it just le- it leaves me numb and I'm kind of bored with just like, oh, and then the next thing's going to happen and the next thing's going to happen. So I took a break um, mm-hmm. watching it. 
just because um, it, it just it's um, too much, I guess. Right. Like, you, you know, too much stimulation. And it just got to the point with me where I just didn't care for it anymore. Mm. Um, well, I had been watching uh, Doom Patrol on DC Universe, not a sponsor. Uh, yeah. And that is very character driven and some and quite effects heavy. But, you know, I th- I, for me, this was a kind of a ro- like a little bit of a change of pace for some for watching a show that's so damn good, but not really action oriented um, to watch something that's just like, you know, you know, a self-contained bite. Yeah, that's just like almost continuous action. So for me, it was a nice change of pace. I know you're not generally into that sort of thing. I do like Doom Patrol. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we'll have to do an episode on that. We will. Next week's the last one. Yep. Or, yeah. All right. So, yeah, I would say The Wandering Earth. Definitely check it out. Uh, it's it's worth it's worth a view. Yeah, I mean, if you've got Netflix, I'd go in, go ahead and watch it. Mm-hmm. Um, if if you don't, um, it's not like getting Game of Thrones just to watch or HBO just to watch Game of Thrones. Right, right. There's plenty. You know, you're not if you don't have Netflix. You know, this I, probably I, won't change I, your mind. Well, yeah, because. I don't know. I'm oh like, my god, they had that obscure Chinese movie. Right. Really right. Obscure, but $15 a month. Let's do it. Strap a rocket on the TARS, Cleo. <laughs> we gotta get us some Netflix gift cards. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they got the her third highest grossing international movie. Uh, uh behind Endgame and Captain Marvel. Absolutely. And, and I say I've seen the third highest grossing international movie, but not the first and the second. Oh, really? Well, and you want to see the second? Mm, yeah, I do. The second I do want to see. Yeah. A third, not so much. All right. Well, that about does it for this week's episode. Uh, be sure to hit us next time. And uh, we'll, we'll, walk, we'll tease you because next time we are doing Book of the New Sun. Yeah, there's more dying earth, more doom, and this is a different way of looking at that, a different solution to um, having issues with the sun. That's right. All right, so keep 30 luck points. I already said it like 10 minutes ago. It wasn't 10 minutes. Come on. Gravity Spike. <laughs> <laughs>